This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight, our final hour of 2023. I am going to be back on uh, Tuesday, January 2nd, which I'm looking forward to. Hopefully you're doing something fun for the holiday, or if not, hopefully you're just getting an opportunity to rest a little bit and recharge your batteries. I I thought about what we should do for our year-end show, and I thought about, and this goes to show you how your sensibilities change as you get older. Initially, what I used to do years ago, I only did it a few years, but I used to do, for the last show of the year, the least interesting person of the year. Sometimes it's a list of the 10 least interesting persons of the year. And then I, I thought to myself, one, who am I to pass judgment on what makes someone interesting and what makes them not interesting? There's a lot of people that probably find me boring uh, for whatever reason. Should I really be the person to say, oh, so-and-so is not interesting? And you know what? Everybody's interesting. You just need to find what's interesting about them. So uh, for a guy that's always saying how he's the least judgmental person on the planet, what do you need me judging people. So I kind of felt bad about about that. So I said, no, let's not do that. So then I said, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll do the FMEs. We're going to do our year-end awards where we have all these different categories and we're going to have the listeners of the week vote on them. Well, a couple of the listeners of the week, I didn't get them the ballot until yesterday. And so a couple of the listeners of the week have not yet completed it. We got a lot of stuff. We have some categories that are being voted upon by rank choice voting, and then some categories that are being voted on just by um, you know having them write in the best answer to whatever the given situation is. So it, whatever you know, we'll hopefully get a wide cross section of moments from the past year on the show. And then I said, well, you know what would be fun is for whomever wins all of the FMEs. Maybe we could get them to come on and do a little acceptance speech. So I said, let's give people the weekend, get their votes in. It'll give me a chance to count the votes. We'll find out who the winners are, get them to come on, do an acceptance speech. And then if um, if uh, it's applicable, depending on the category, we can have them also, we, we could play some of the clips that won. And it's funny, not one, not two, not three. Five separate people have said the name for the awards should not be the FMEs. It should be the Frankies, including just listeners, even people that aren't voting on. So maybe we'll change the name to the Frankies and we'll have a little bit more showmanship. And uh, we're starting on uh, some new stations on 
January 2nd. So it might be a good way to introduce people to the show if they see some of the highlights of the last year. So then I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We will give you my take on the least covered news stories of the year. Now, what does that mean? Least covered news stories of the year. We all know, you know, how many stories can there be about Donald Trump being kicked off the ballot in Maine? How many stories can there be about uh, Taylor Swift dating uh, Travis Kelsey? I mean, these are, this is in the news every day. How many stories can there be about migrants? But there are all these news stories, sometimes good news, sometimes bad news, sometimes neither good nor bad, that don't get covered by the mainstream media. And we don't end up talking about them. So... I made a list and I, I went through a lot of other sources and a lot of other journalists and a lot of other websites lists about what I think is the 10 least covered news stories of the year. Not least important, but stories that were actually deserving of more coverage. So I'm going to run through these and then invite you to comment if you have a thought as to what you think was the least covered news story of the year. Give me a call, 800-848-9222. And when you call in, really think, it, was it really not covered? Don't call in and say, the presidential election, because that's a joke, okay? There's been a ton of news around the presidential election. If there's one aspect of the presidential collection, like, um, you know, John Q, you know, uh, Paul Q. Farfoil is running, and he's the greatest candidate ever, and polling at 20%, and he's gotten no media attention, then, okay, absolutely highlight that. But really make them stories that, um, you know, that have not been covered. 800-848-9222. Here are my 10 in no particular order. I'm not going to do the 10 through 1 kind of deal because these all, I think, were deserving of more coverage than than they did. Here's one. A record number of countries eliminated diseases this year. Isn't that something? And that's a great piece of good news that you never hear about. Egypt became the first country to completely eliminate hepatitis C, which is crazy, given that it used to have the highest burden of hepatitis in the world. Bangladesh became the first country to eliminate black fever and elephantitis. Niger, or Niger, became the first African country to eliminate river blindness. You had Mali and Iraq eliminate trachoma. North Korea eliminated rubella. Ghana eliminated sleeping sickness. Azerbaijan and Belize eliminated malaria. Now, that's pretty impressive. And there's a bunch of other countries, too, that I'm not even mentioning. But they're, 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 they don't know that there's another year on record in history where more countries eliminated more diseases. So, I mean, that's certainly newsworthy. Here's another one, the Twitter files. And I know people talked about the Twitter files at the time, but the Twitter files, which is basically Elon Musk turning over to certain journalists the internal machinations of what was going on at Twitter before he took over, it really does reveal the incredible pressure that, the U.S. government puts on social media platforms to suppress alternative views. 
So the Twitter files is this trove of internal communications related to Twitter's content moderation practices, and it was made available by Elon Musk to certain journalists. They banned selected political voices on Twitter. They supported covert government operations. They censored posts exploding the myth of large-scale Russian interference in the 2016 election. And it was covered by Matt Taibbi at Racket News. And there were secret blacklists. Twitter has a large toolbox for controlling the visibility of any user. So when I told you that I started tweeting about the war in Ukraine and all of a sudden my tweets stopped being um, seen by people, I don't think it was my imagination. There were congressional requests for bans. There was assistance to the Pentagon for covert online psyops. Twitter officials testified publicly to Congress that the company did not allow government-backed covert operations, even while it was a clear partner in state-backed programs involving fake accounts. For example, U.S. Central Command maintained 52 Arab-language accounts on Twitter to amplify certain messages. And there's a lot more here. Flagging and removing accurate information. In March of 2023, uh, via Matt Taibbi's Twitter files release, researcher Andrew Lowenthal, who's been a guest on the show, I believe, disclosed how four think tanks and multiple government agencies worked to create a cross-platform system for seven major internet platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, to aid in identifying and labeling disinformation events. The system was used to flag verifiably true stories online about the COVID vaccine side effects to be deleted or de-amplified. A big story, Matt Taibbi has done a great job reporting on this, but it really hasn't been picked up in a lot of the rest of the mainstream news media. Um, There has been a tremendous amount of progress on smoking. 5.6 billion people are now protected by at least one policy to help reduce smoking. And without measures implemented in the last 15 years, they estimate that there would be an estimated 300 million more smokers in the world today. And we have made astonishing progress in not only reducing smoking, but reducing drowning with deaths declining significantly over the past year and the past few decades. Nearly, this is a very interesting story. What do you think of when you think of homeless people? Be honest. You think of a bum. You think of a bum. Somebody that sits around all day, begs, maybe they've got mental illness, maybe they're drinking alcohol. Well, contrary to popular belief, many people who experience homelessness, about 50%, by the way, almost, about nearly half of people that experience homelessness, They're employed. They are employed. The National Alliance to End Homelessness, they came out with uh, a study produced or they published this study produced by the Becker Friedman Institute for Economics. And they reported that 53 percent of the sheltered, unhoused population, the homeless, and 40 percent of the unsheltered, unhoused population were employed either part time or full time. So this whole idea that many of us have that the homeless aren't working, it's not true. 
at least not for half of them. They are working. This is a story that I am shocked didn't get more attention, even in conservative media and talk radio and Fox News and all of the like. The, there were accidents that revealed the vulnerabilities of U.S. biolabs. This is an incredible piece of reporting by The Intercept. The Intercept is a left-of-center publication, but they do great work. And The Intercept uncovered hundreds of undisclosed accidents at biolabs in the United States. And the article that uh, The Intercept did spotlighted the case of a graduate student at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri, who contracted a, the debilitating chikagunya virus, which is responsible for epidemics in both the Caribbean and in Africa. According to the reporter for The Intercept, the graduate student contracted the virus when her syringe slipped and pricked through her gloves. Seeing no blood, she didn't initially report the incident. She became ill several days later, tested positive for chikungunya because she didn't report the incident immediately. No safety measures were put into place following her possible exposure. Her supervisor did ultimately report the incident. This is, I want you to keep in mind, two years after COVID. Um, They did report this to the NIH, but until now, this event remained out of public view. So have hundreds of other incidents in U.S. labs. Accidents like these are not uncommon in U.S. bio labs. The Intercept analyzed more than 5,500 pages of documents from the NIH to reveal a range of issues. Some included malfunctioning equipment, spilled beakers, transgenic rodents running down the halls, and a... um, you know, another creature that was supposed to be sedated coming back to life and biting a researcher. Most of the incidents involved minor pathogens or didn't lead to infection or illness, but some accidents did result in illness. The bottom line here is that our bio labs are incredibly vulnerable, and that was not widely reported. Look, there's some news in pop culture that you haven't heard about either. A huge story this year. The Simpsons, a show which has been pretty awful for the last 15 to 20 years, is good again. While no one was watching, The Simpsons is now a great TV show again. It's not just me saying this. It's a lot of Simpsons fans, and it's a a huge article in The Vulture where they analyzed the quality of all these recent Simpsons episodes. While no one was looking... And this is, I think, the biggest pop cultural story of the year. While no one was looking, The Simpsons got good again. Here is a story. I'm going to ask you a question. Ready? Robert Blake, dead or alive? I'm betting a lot of you said alive. Robert Blake is dead. Robert Blake died at the age of 89. Did you hear anything about this? This was nowhere this year. I mean, every celebrity death gets a lot of attention, but I would think Robert Blake, who not only was an Emmy Award-winning actor, but uh, somebody that became notorious when he was tried and acquitted in the killing of his wife, he died. He didn't even get as much attention as uh, Ryan O'Neal did. But you would think that not only for his acting work, but for the fact that a lot of people believe he killed his wife, and a lot of people believe that, um, you know, he was... Equitted wrongly, you'd think his death would have been a big deal. You didn't hear a peep about it. Um, 
Richmond, the Richmond School Board in Virginia, they had a school shooting after graduation. And the school board, publicly funded, publicly elected, they put together a report about what the school did wrong, leading to all these security failures. The school board has refused to release the report, even to the families of the victims of the shooting. Now, to me, this is a major scandal. And unlike what we saw in Tennessee, no one's been talking about this. The school board, a publicly funded group, comes out with a report explaining exactly what they did wrong. And even though they're supposed to be publicly funded and transparent, they didn't come out with anything publicly, not even to the victims' families. I think that's a big story. And uh, in keeping with our UFO topic, um, the incredible testimony from David Grush and other whistleblowers, but especially David Grush, who claimed that the Pentagon has a UFO retrieval program and claimed that uh, the Pentagon you know, has non-human technology and a bunch of other blockbuster allegations. What was amazing about this is that not that it didn't get a lot of attention. It did, and there were congressional hearings about it. But the inspector general, the inspector general for the intelligence community called David Grush's complaint urgent and credible. And it's been publicly reported by Leslie Keene and her um, co-author, Ralph Blumenthal, who's been a guest on the show many times. The It's been reported that the inspector general found David Grush's complaint credible. Now, almost all of the mainstream media coverage of David Grush treats him like a wacko or treats the issue as if it's science fiction. Have you seen anywhere that he his complaint was found credible by the inspector general? I haven't. I think that's a story that definitely deserves some more coverage. And finally... Who is the most followed person on social media? Include every social media account in the world. Who has the most followers? Tony, any guesses? Who has the most followers on social media? Me. I didn't even know you were on social media. Take a guess. That's it's, it's hard. It's, that's a broad question, man. It's hard to answer that. Well, well, take a guess. Wild guess. We won't hold you to it. I, I can't. I, okay, I can't. can't I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Hey, uh, um, Elias, you want to take a guess as to who has the most followers on social media? Uh, either somebody related to the Kardashians or maybe Justin Bieber. That's what I would think. That's what I would think. Okay. So, um, Kim Kardashian West has 364 million followers. That's number seven. Ariana Grande, number six, with 380 million. The Rock. 394 million for a former wrestler. It's not bad. Kylie Jenner, also related to the Kardashians, number four. Selena Gomez, number three. Number two, Lionel Messi, by far the number one person. The number one person. And just turn your mic off there so we don't hear you coughing. Uh, the number one person in terms of social media accounts in the world, which is why I think it's newsworthy, because none of us knew it, including me. Christian Ronaldo, the soccer player, 
113 million verified followers. That's bigger than the population of almost any country on earth. And I didn't know it, did you? I mean, this guy is one of the most powerful people in the world because of his social media following. And a lot of people didn't even know it. All right. Uh, we're going to talk with um, Noam Laden in a bit and then Debbie Schlussel. But let me squeeze in a couple of quick calls here. 800-848-9222. Uh, Ken is on Long Island. Hi, Ken. Hey, how are you? Um I have a story. I'm on Long Island, and I always thought that News 12 was um, for Long Islanders on your side. My wife and I both worked for the post office in a maintenance facility where there was dangerous vehicles on the road. We tried to get the attention of everybody, and by being federal whistleblowers, we ended up getting a uh, – my wife got a $2 million lawsuit. Wow. The person that she, yeah, and uh, this all documented and everything else, and we cannot get anybody in the media – or anybody to follow the story. We've had to lay out over $50,000 defending ourselves and uh, as being a whistleblower, it's just wrong. But and now, just so, clear, that, Ken, uh, what, just so I'm clear, Ken, just so I'm clear, just so I'm clear, what were you blowing the whistle on exactly? What what happened? Well, the facility. Hmm. So I took pictures of it when it came in in the morning, and then the, uh, the management says no picture taken, and I was safety captain also. No picture taken on postal property. Then I went to OSHA on another one for STAA, which is a, I think, Surface Transportation Accountability Act or whatever it stands for the acronym. And uh, it took them four years to come through with this. And long story short, this is another vehicle. They said we're self-regulating, and there was no way of um, no, nobody would look into what was happening there. Well, that is interesting, Ken. I'm sorry that you guys went through that, and uh, I'm wishing you the best of luck. I'm not sure if, if it fits what I'm describing as one of the least covered news stories of the year. Certainly important. One of the least covered of the year? I'm not so sure. Uh, maybe. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hi. Yeah, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry I didn't respond. I, I don't think I got it. I, uh, I, I check was... your spam, then, because I definitely I am, emailed you. I am. And, and you said other people didn't get it, too, so possibly... Well, no, just go- Neil. Neil in Baltimore is the only other one other than you. Oh, okay. Then I'll, I'll, I'll look for that today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Send uh, me. And remember, the first few categories are through ranked choice voting, so you got to rank your picks, one through five. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. All, All right, right Rick. Thank you. Happy New Year. 800-848-9222. Noam Leiden and Debbie Schlossel, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
after the hour. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, our last program of the year. No one that I would rather spend it with than our news director, a man who has a nose for news. Stand by for The Other Side of Midnight's News. Side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. The rest of the story. Here we come, Noam. Good morning, Frank. Let's start in Wisconsin. The University of Wisconsin Chancellor who had previously uh, paid a porn star thousands of dollars to speak to students on campus, was canned this week after it was revealed. He films his own adult content with his wife, and he posts it on X-rated sites online. Now, it's amazing. Apparently, this was going on for years. This is not recent history. The universities of Wisconsin Board of Regents uh, voted unanimously to fire the head of University of Wisconsin lacrosse chancellor. His name is Joe Gow. Uh, They say his conduct is abhorrent, and they made some sort of vague statement about what he was involved in. But then we found out from him what it was all about. He said, yeah, I was filming these uh, these movies with my wife that appeared on OnlyFans and Pornhub. It was easy to find. He said he normally disguised his face. Uh, He said he had never talked about the score, his connection to it. It was not about that. This was straightforward porn and he says it's his free speech he says it's crazy that he's lost his job he said my day job was my day job i was very good at it as he spoke to the milwaukee sentinel yesterday but he says um he's outraged that he's been let go from this job he says no money from the school was ever used to create these videos it was a whole side career that he had but the university says no you are gone so I guess the good part is he has this career going where he makes some money. Um, He has now started a new channel on YouTube that's called Sexy Healthy Cooking, which he invites adult film stars to cook vegan meals with him. That has taken off and has now, as you might guess, because the story blew up this week, a ton more subscribers than it did just a week ago. I can't imagine, though, that, I mean, even with all this publicity, that he's going to be able to get the same kind of money just through OnlyFans that he did through um, his job as a as a school's chancellor. I mean, do we know how he was found out? You said this went on for a while. What, uh, you know, did, did, how'd, they, how'd they catch up with him? The university's not saying anything, right? They all, as they always do, they'll say this is a you know, private conversation that we have between the employee and the university. But he's pretty sure that someone at some point put two and two together and uh, turned them in. Uh, well, you know, I do feel, look, obviously I would think that if you get caught, you know what the ramifications of this are going to be. And if this job was important to him, you know, he had to know that he was going to get caught with this. But I, I and what would happen... I do have some sympathy for him, though. I mean, it, there's no indication, based on what you've told us, that he was anything less than stellar in terms of his job as a uh, as a school's chancellor. Why shouldn't he be able to do private pornography, which is basically OnlyFans is. It's a subscriber yes. site. 
Bohr didn't see it that way. He was the second uh, longest serving president chancellor of the wow. university at Wisconsin, of, you know, because there's a number of campuses, University of Wisconsin. So clearly he was popular, but um, this board said, no, we can't have somebody who's doing porn videos as president of the university. It reminds me a bit of that uh, situation in Virginia with the state Senate candidate who was revealed to have a uh, an OnlyFans channel on there, and then the Republicans tried to use it against her in the election. She ended up losing the election, and I thought that was kind of a shame as well. Yeah, well, but anyway, he's going to fight it. We'll see if that even works. Uh, one quick other one. It's New Year's, of course, and I always love to see what people are willing to pay to watch the ball drop oh, in Times Square. Now, you have the regular folk who, of course, start getting there at 12 in the afternoon on New Year's Eve day to get their spots in Times Square to watch that ball drop. So if you want to sit at Applebee's, I don't know if you know, there's an Applebee's right smack in the middle of Times Square. And if you get a table at Applebee's, you can see the ball drop really well. I mean, clear, dead-on view. So they're charging $650 a person per table to get a – you'll get a meal – and you'll get to watch the ball drop at midnight. That's the cheapest option, by the way, of all the ones I could find. Um, There are a whole bunch of other packages. If you want to go to the Marriott Marquis, of course, that famed hotel in Midtown, it's a $12,000 a couple to ring in 2024. I um, First of all, I don't know why anybody would want to do this, but I guess maybe it's one of those things that it's fun if you do it once or if you're a tourist. I uh, have been informed by Ellen, one of our listeners, that the price at Applebee's it, they've actually raised it to $899. Oh, okay. Now, it does include a five-hour premium open bar, but that's not worth 900 Well, you know what's so funny is they went on to say, because I had this communication back and forth with them, I said, what is the meal? Is it the Applebee's menu? And they said, no, it, they actually said this almost. And they didn't say it in these words, but they said, no, it's actually something better. You know, I mean, well, almost dissing their own menu. I, but this is why I, I really don't like New Year's Eve. One, every place you go is too crowded. Two, it's overpriced. Three, there's all these heightened expectations to have a good time. But four is you can't. You go to all these places that you could go to 364 other days a year, and you can't offer or order off the regular menu. You have to order the special menu, which is not based on what they make the best. No, it's based on whatever they can produce the most of or have excess of, and, and charge yeah. right the most. So that's why I'm so anti New Year's Eve completely. It's kind of like Valentine's Day. It's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Right? No, no, February no. February exactly. 13th, that meal costs 100 bucks. February 14th, it costs 700. Bucks. You know what I don't like? Also, especially when I was single, you know, people would, uh, now, December 31st is really just another day, right? right. I, you know, it's equal to every other day on the calendar, but people, they make you feel bad if you don't have plans, right. if you don't have a date. Oh, what are you doing for New Year's Eve? They start asking this two months in advance. Right. What are you, who, do you have a date for New Year's Eve? No. Do you have a date for February 9th? No. no I mean, right, do you have plans right. for exactly. March 26th? No. Exactly. I mean, and I just, I hate that. It becomes a very difficult thing to have a good time when there's all this pressure to have a good time, which, which is why I do the New Year's Eve Eve thing, right. because nobody is expecting to have a super good time on right. New Year's Eve Eve. You and just kind of chill out. Have a super good time? Never. Or, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we need reasonable expectations. Uh, by the way, just uh, the other one, if you want to go to the AMC Theater, uh, there are uh, no movies. They're just opening up $499 a person. It has a balcony in the back where you can watch the ball drop. Okay, well, that's yeah. something. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? Uh, well, I'm driving my oldest son to the airport. Oh, nice. That's okay. my excitement to right. Good. Yeah. I'll be watching the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Noma. We'll see you next Happy year. Happy New Year. And now you know. 
the rest of the story. So, for our final guest of uh, the year 2023, I thought it would be fun to talk with uh, Debbie Schlossel. Not only does she know a great deal about uh, world affairs and the news of the day, but uh, she also is equally opinionated when it comes to motion pictures, and I'm betting a lot of you are getting to enjoy a four- or five-day weekend this weekend, and you might want to catch up on some movies. I I caught a couple of movies. They were older movies uh, over the last couple of days, but um, it's a fun thing to do. So, wonder, welcome back to the program. Attorney, author, political commentator, and film critic Debbie Schlossel. Hello there, Debbie. Hi, great to be back, and happy New Year upcoming. Likewise, likewise. Do you have any New Year's plans, Debbie? No, I I have to say I agree with you a thousand percent with everything you just said before. Well, see, I, I hate New Year's New Year's Eve and that whole thing. I hate it. Yeah, it's it's just it's too much. All right, before we get to um, the movies, both your picks for movies of the year and a lot of movies that have come out recently that uh, have gotten a lot of buzz, I have to get your opinion as an attorney and as a political observer on the situation in Maine. Uh, you're a conservative, but uh, you've said you're not voting for Trump this year because you don't like not only some of his policies, but uh, you know his having dinner with anti-Semites and things like that. But um, I'm, I'm you know, that's a Reader's Digest version. What do you make of this decision, though, by the Secretary of State in Maine to deny him a place on the ballot, Debbie? I totally disagree with that. I I think this is a free country. We're a democracy. And let the voters decide. I always believe in the open marketplace, not just of uh, products, but of ideas and also candidates. And, you know, today him, tomorrow somebody else. I think it's outrageous. I think the Supreme Court is going to reverse that decision. It's it's not going to be the final decision. Um, and I think everyone should be alarmed that liberal people and far left people can decide who's on our ballot. That's what they do in this in the four. That's what they did in the then Soviet Union. We don't do that here. And I hope that the Supreme Court will reverse it, and I predict that they will. Um, One of the other presidential candidates that's getting a lot of attention this week, much of it negative, is uh, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and the uh, former ambassador to the U.N. She was asked about uh, about the Civil War and the causes of the Civil War. If people haven't heard this yet, here's a little bit of what Nikki Haley said. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? So, uh, Debbie, obviously there were a multitude of, uh, of factors leading to uh, regional uh, regional tensions in the run-up to the Civil War, but uh, so much of it, if not all of it, stems from the issue of slavery. Would you make of this uh, Nikki Haley handling of the Civil War question and her attempts to sort of backpedal from it in the last day or so? I, You know, I was absolutely shocked last night, and I had some Twitter wars with Nikki Haley supporters over this who said it was a gotcha question. I remember when the Sarah Palin people, all her supporters, <laughs> attacked me because I said that the um, Katie Couric question to 
Sarah Palin about what do you read every day, which is a very simple question, was a gotcha question. <laughs> this is not a gotcha question. This is a very basic and important fact in American history. And the fact that she clearly did not know, she did not know, she was clueless, is really jarring and appalling well, do to you, me. Do you think she didn't know or yes. she didn't want to offend people that she perceives as as possible primary voters? I think she didn't know. Wow. I, I, I really do. The way the question was answered, she if she didn't want to say the word slavery, which I don't know how they could offend anyone that we know that that's the re- the main reason she could have said, which was something that, you know, I said on Twitter, she could have said that this was about the state's rights in the Southern uh, area of the country. And they felt that the federal government was encroaching upon them um, and was too involved in their policies. She didn't even say that she said, Oh, it's about government government and how who's in power and what how it works and how it runs what do you think it i mean that was to <laughs> me the worst deflection for somebody who has no clue that i've ever heard and um i really was shocked and surprised because uh, i don't think she's stupid or ignorant now i kind of do um or i never thought she was ignorant um and the other thing is that she had the big controversy with the Confederate flag. Right, right, which is why I would have a tough time believing that she didn't know that. Because, I mean, the word slavery was mentioned every day during the Confederate flag controversy. So how could she not know that slavery was the big deal when it came to the Civil War? I don't know, but I think at least in that moment when she was at that speech, giving that speech, and then answering questions, she did not know. To me, the way she answered it showed ignorance, not I don't want to offend someone. It didn't look like she was trying to avoid saying something. It looked to me like she had a clue. Hmm. Uh, Well, I mean, that is a sad situation. All right. Also a sad situation in uh, the Middle East, and then we'll talk movies, hopefully on a more upbeat level, where a second American hostage has uh, died in Hamas captivity in the Gaza Strip. How do you see this going, Debbie? And how do you think both Israel and the United States should handle trying to get these hostages out, if at all? I think Israel needs to finish the job or this is going to keep happening over and over again. Throughout Israel's recent history, this has happened over and over again. There have been terrorist attacks on Israel from Hamas repeatedly. Israel then goes into to Hamas, into uh, Gaza or they go into the West Bank or they go into South Lebanon. They shoot things up, blow up a few things and then leave. And then everything keeps happening again. So this was such a horrendous, horrible attack on October 7th that it seems that everyone seems to have forgotten that, um, that they must finish the job. And as far as hostages dying, I think that was to be expected from the very beginning when Israel had to respond. They had to, um, and they had to finish Hamas off. This was to be expected. Even the um, hostages that were accidentally shot and killed, that was to be expected, too. Stuff happens in the heat of battle. Hamas nicks uh, dress in civilian clothing, Hamas terrorists. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. 
uh, but it was to be expected. It's a, unfortunately, very unfortunately, a casualty of war. Um, I'm very sorry people died, uh, but most of them died who uh, by at Hamas's hands on October 7th, and it had to be done. Some of the hostages have been found and rescued. We forget that, that some towards the beginning of when Israel came into the area were found and rescued. Um, and by the way, the American who was reported killed, they have his body. They have his wife's body or they have there's there was a woman. They have her body. They have her husband's body. Um, they will. They're grave robbers. They're horrible, horrible. I hate to call them people because they really aren't. And they will not release the bodies. There's a Canadian woman. They won't release her body. Uh, there were these two. Uh, I hate to call them men because they were so young, a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old Christians from Tanzania who have nothing to do with Israel or the Palestinians and who were in Israel on a scholarship learning agriculture. And they both wanted to start their own agribusinesses. They were both murdered. Their bodies uh, were not returned. One of them had his body finally returned. The other one, who, by the way, there is a video circulating of Hamas torturing him to death. So they didn't just kill him, they tortured him to death, and they released the video that's circulating around the the net, how horribly they killed this guy, who was only 21. His name was Joshua Malel. Um, His body has not been returned to Israel, so they can send it to his family in Tanzania to have a proper funeral. Uh, it's just absolutely horrifying. And that's why these kinds of things, why Israel must continue and they must get rid of Hamas, if at all possible. And they have to try to do that. So this is going to continue and it should continue. In our last few minutes of uh, the year together, Debbie, let's uh, end with something a, a bit more upbeat. Um, a lot of films are out recently. A lot of folks remember the uh, Willy Wonka film with Gene Wilder, and then there was even a, a remake of it a few years ago with Johnny Depp. There's a new Willy Wonka film out. I think it's just called Wonka. It's a prequel starring Timothy Chalamet. For people that remember either of the other two Willy Wonka films, tell me about this film. Is it worth seeing? You know, I know a lot, quite a few people that saw it and loved it. I personally did not like it. I thought it was long, slow, and boring. I didn't need a prequel. It doesn't really show me that much, except that it shows me that Wonka was at some place. It seems to be England, although there's some people with New York and American accents there, including Wonka. Um, and he's forced to, he signs his life away to this laundry store, laundry outfit, and he has to get out of it. Plus, he's trying to be kept out of the candy business by three competitors, including uh, the uh, one of the ones from the original Willy Wonka movie. Wasn't for me the songs. It's musical. The songs are not catchy. I'll tell you what is funny was the Oompa Loompa played by Hugh Grant. He steals the show. He's hilarious. I laughed at um, pretty much everything he did. He should have an origin movie, the Oompa Loompa, starring Hugh Grant. As much as he protested how much he hated playing the Oompa Loompa, he was excellent. So 
that part I enjoyed. Okay. Well, so, all right. Now, I'm not going to go out of my way to see that. Hey, I'm a big wrestling fan, and I've followed the story of the uh, Von Erich family for a long time. I understand that's uh, depicted in the new film, The Iron Claw, which is out now. Tell me about this. Is this worth seeing? I I hate to, to burst your bubble. No, save me the two I'm hours. I'm a wrestling fan, too, maybe not as big as you, but I, I do like it, and I like uh, you know, I did follow it from time to time, and I was aware of the Von Erich family, but this movie is just so dark and depressing. I feel it's a bait and switch because even though I think if people know their history, they know that a lot of that it's a dark and depressing history of this family. It's just a very slow, boring movie, dark and depressing, nothing redeeming about it. I hated it. It's a long, slow slot like through people dying and getting injured and bad things happening. Um, and also, um, Zach Efron, I did not even recognize him. He clearly, to me, did steroids. His face is huge. His, he just looks so bloated from, like from steroids. And the wig he wears is so obvious and awful through the whole movie. I felt like they almost did it on purpose. Mm. And I hated this movie. So, sorry, it's a no for me. And by the way, the same thing for the Ferrari movie. I I was very excited to see the Ferrari movie. I thought, oh, cool, Ferrari and auto racing. It's almost as if they took a liberal woman and had her make a Ferrari movie because there's very, very little racing, and the racing they have is very unexciting. And they kind of try to show a lot more style and drama than anything else. The movie is really about, and it's kind of confusing uh, to that effect. It's really about how um, Enzo Ferrari um, was a horrible person uh, and which that came out in spades in the movie and made it a very depressing holiday movie. He's a horrible person who had a mistress on the side and he and his wife had a horrible relationship and his son died and it's just dark and and just awful. I don't know why anyone would want to go see this movie. And I have to say that I saw it on Christmas Eve because I didn't get a screener for this. And a local guy who was one of the race car stunt drivers in the movie and is a race car driver spoke after the movie. And he was a million times more exciting and a pleasure to hear and see than this movie. (laughs) Uh, Debbie, lastly, if there's one film that you're going to recommend that came out this year that people should make an effort to check out, what is it? So I didn't really, really have too too many favorites, really. None of the movies were very impressive, but I really liked The Holdovers. I did like The Boys in the Boat. It's being criticized for being boring and formulaic, but... It's actually a true story of working class guys who beat out all these fancy Ivy League people. Um, and they were from the, the uh, University of Washington during the Depression. And they beat out all these Ivy League teams to go to the Olympics. Hmm. And they beat the Nazi, the German team in what was known as the Nazi Olympics or the German Olympics in 1936. I did enjoy that movie. It was a little slow. But it is a great story that people don't really maybe know about. Um, It's directed by George Clooney. I'm not a fan of his, but I think he did a fairly decent job. Um, The Holdovers was the best. Um, My favorite thriller was Sharper on Apple TV+. 
I gave I mentioned some other movies yep. too. I can't remember all of them. Dream Scenario was the weirdest movie, but an interesting concept that maybe they took a little too far. It was sort of like a Twilight Zone gone mad. Um, and then there were a few others. I can't remember what else. I oh, I, we're going to have to end it there. Debbie, Happy uh, New Year. Thanks for joining me. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. 800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Mike. Morning, Frank. Yesterday, with your absence, the other side became the unpleasant side of midnight. The only upside were Matt, Tony, and Elias. It's a good thing there was a piece of fruitcake left over from Christmas to plug my ears. Got a little better after that but not much. Timothy. There is salvation through only one, Jesus Christ, God Almighty. John 3.1, read the Bible, know the truth. Steve. If you don't think Stephen King murdered John Lennon, visit LennonMurderTruth.com. Until he is exposed, tried, and executed, America is going straight down the drain. Rocco. Welcome back, Frank, but Dominic was dynamite in your absence. I'm going to check out that OnlyFans thing. I'm interested in cooking and sexy cooking, all the better. Go, Israel, go. Defeat Hamas. You've never lost the war. Keith. And finally, Raji. It's indeed shocking. We haven't been hit harder than 9-11 in view of the illegal invaders and a constant meddling in the Middle East instead of... Thank you, Raji. Frank Moreno, good day.